Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. When you study the life of David, you see so many successes, but you do see a lot of failures. That relates to you. It relates to me. David would realize that he couldn't live life without God. The sooner you come to the knowledge that you need to be dependent upon God, the wiser you will be in your life. So David, through God's word and through God's grace, is going to do it right this time. The first step in figuring out if you're in God's will is to examine your actions. We tend to hold ourselves up against people we consider to be holy or respectable. But no man is righteous apart from God. The only way to truly know if you're operating in obedience to God's plan is to measure your life against the Word. As we'll see today, King David recognizes that he was making decisions that ran counter to God's instructions. Sometimes our own failings may come as a surprise. But God gives second chances. We can begin again with Him at the helm. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the book of First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1, with today's study. the ark contained the two tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments, the jar of manna, and then Aaron's staff, you remember, that budded. It represented the provision, the power, the presence, and the mercy of God. It was the representation of his presence to them. David finally gets the ark which is the most coveted part of Judaism, back where it belonged. There's one thing that we've learned from history that we haven't learned from history. I think it's important for you and myself to realize it's important to keep in touch with God and His Word and to have soft hearts and admit when we blow it and just learn be teachable. That started in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Now after David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, remember that's Jerusalem, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. David assembled all Israel and Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. Important key in verse 2 is the word carry. You remember three months earlier, David had tried to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. It ended in a disaster when they put the ark on a cart. The cart was going over some rough roads. It began to tip. 
You remember Uzzah reached out, tried to steady it to do a right thing, was struck down by God. The reason that happened is because man, David, were doing what the Philistines did. They were put it on an ark. He was putting it on a, a cart. David had failed to consult God how to transfer the ark. During these three months, what did David do? Well, it doesn't tell us specifically, but obviously he had to go back and he studied the Torah. He had to head back and say, all right, something was wrong here. What did I not do that I should have done? I need to find God's way. I think it's good for us in our lives, and that's why you're here tonight. I congratulate you for it. We're reviewing and reminding ourselves of the principles of God's word. Isn't it amazing how often we can forget a principle or a passage or operation? We know it, we just forget it. And we can go through the very same thing. I could almost teach this probably maybe two months from now and you go, wow, that was really neat. You don't even remember I taught it. And I might not remember I taught it. And that's just the way our minds are. So the word repeats itself in the principles. David had to do this. He was teachable. He went back into the things of God and said, it didn't work the first time. Something was wrong. What am I going to do? David was teachable. He was now going to do it God's way. How much heartache we would save ourselves if we would only do it God's way the first time. In Ecclesiastes 11.9, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to read it to you out of the Living Bible. I love it. It says this. It says, young man, young woman, it's wonderful to be young. How many remember that? I know you have Alzheimer's. You can't remember back. It's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do all you want. Take in everything. But realize that you must account to God for everything you do. That's a great wise statement. You see, you need to enjoy life. We need to enjoy life now. And most of us are going to, we'll be gone at 75, 78, 81, 82. That's all life is. We have today. Some of us may be gone this week. We never know what life's about. So we need to enjoy it. We need to live it fully for God. This is what was mentioned in Ecclesiastes to realize that we're going to stand before God. Now what you see here in this passage of scripture, I think is really good because David now is going to try and, and do it again. He's going to get all these people together and we're going to see that. Why can he try it again? Because of this, God's grace. Failure is not final. God loves to give second chances. There's a couple of things I want to remind us about. When you study the life of David, you see so many successes, but you do see a lot of failures. That relates to you. It relates to me. David would realize that he couldn't live life without God. The sooner you come to the knowledge that you need to be dependent upon God, the wiser you will be in your life. So David, through God's word, and through God's grace, is going to do it right this time. You know, quite often, when I'm counseling couples before they're getting married, 
Today, many couples have been divorced before they even came to the Lord, before they came to salvation. And when they come in, one of the things they'll say to me almost invariably is this. We want to do it right this time. That's right. It's good. Now, it's a tragedy that they've messed up their lives. But because of God's grace, they can start again. They get a chance. Maybe you're here tonight. You failed miserably. Maybe in the last few weeks. All you have to do is ask God for his forgiveness. Consult him through prayer and the word and get on with your life. God will bless you again. Now that doesn't make sense, does it? But I'm glad he will. You see, if you failed and were never blessed by God again, how miserable a life it would be. He just blesses us again. You say, well, I don't really agree with that. Well, just study the nation of Israel. How many times? Went through the book of Judges. You remember it? Pattern over and over again. God blessed them, they failed. God blessed them, they failed. God blessed them, they failed. It's really no different in our lives tonight. So we have to remember God's grace. Secondly, we need to be graceful to others when they fail. We represent God. And let's remember that in our lives. When you see other people fail, don't come down on them. Just pray for them. Pray for God's grace in their life. Now remember, when we do fail, God does restore, but the consequences are still there. Remember, we talked about that. God's grace is totally forgiven, our sins, but the consequences of our sin are still there. Just a couple weeks ago, before we headed off to Ukraine, I ran into a young man who used to come to this church. He had a significant sexual problem. And I ran into him in town, and I just said to him, what's happened in your life? Where are you going? To church. And he said, well, I got delivered totally from that area. I don't have any of that problem anymore at all. God's changed my life. I'm going to another church, and God has really blessed me. He is now on a long-term probation, about 10 years because of that area, but God has changed his life. See, God's grace is good. It's wonderful. That's because God loves us. Now, verses 4 to 10 give us these people, and I'm not going to go through all of these names tonight and different things, but there's some important things you want to see there. This is a list of the people that are going to be put together to carry the ark. Notice in verse 4, he called together the descendants of Aaron and the Levites. That's the people that were going to be there. Then in verse 12, he says, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Verse 13, it was because of you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. Notice, it's really David's fault, but he includes everybody in it. He starts off, he doesn't say, I didn't inquire the Lord. It was his fault. Notice what he says. We didn't. Well, that's a little better than you didn't. But really, he's the one that's guilty. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves. Consecration just means to set yourself apart from God. In order to bring up the ark. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders, no cart, as Moses had commanded, circle or underline this last part of that verse, in accordance with the rules and regulation of Calvary Chapel. Is that what it says? 
or the Catholic Church or First Baptist or Presbyterian, wherever you're from. No, with the word of the Lord. So here's personal responsibility. The only persons that could transport the ark were the Levites. The Levites had to get themselves ready. Personal holiness before they could serve God. An unexamined life is not worth living. So they had to examine themselves. The Passover represents a time when we take communion. The first phase of taking communion is to examine himself. Let a man and a woman examine himself. To see, to consecrate yourself, to get yourself ready. To see if there's anything in our lives that would hinder our relationship with God. This is what the Levites did. Remember, David would say it like this in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my head. You're right. And know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. So all scripture is given. So when we read the word of God tonight, when we're going through the word of God tonight, God will speak to you. He will speak to us. When we are journaling in the mornings and we're writing down how we did yesterday and how we may have lost it. Anybody here ever lose it? I lost it this last week and we were coming back. And I have to tell you, but I have to be honest, why not, huh? No, I won't tell you. Let's move on. We had stayed on the, at Paris that night uh, at a hotel right on the airport grounds so we could easily fly out the next morning. When we got up, we had a nice breakfast, and, and it was all included. It was wonderful, and, and uh, we went out to get on the, the bus. We're five minutes from the terminal. Well, there's two terminals in Paris, De Gaulle Airport, Terminal 1 and Terminal 2. They're five minutes apart, three minutes apart. We got on the bus. We went around, went to another hotel, headed off to Terminal 1. Well, we had to go from Terminal 2. So we got to Terminal 1, and the bus driver announces, this is Terminal 1. He can't hardly speak a word of English, but we got that much out of him. Well, all of us, there was myself, my wife, a couple other guys in the back, another gal, we just sat in the bus, because we're going to Terminal 2. So I said, we're going to Terminal 2. Oh, no, this bus does not go to Terminal 2. So what do you mean this bus doesn't go to Terminal this bus only goes to Terminal 1. Now, to get back to the hotel, you had to go by, right by Terminal 2. <laughs> Would not go. So, that's when I lost it. <laughs> How are we going to get to Terminal 2? We're going to be late for our plane. We're going to miss the connection. And so, he couldn't speak English, and I couldn't speak French. And we had a wonderful time together. So I finally had him, please call the hotel where we just came from. So we got the guy in there, and I, hello? Does not go to Terminal 2. Will not go to Terminal 2. Yes, I understand that part. I never could get through to him. So finally, we got some instructions. We had to get off at Terminal 1, go down to the basement. There was a little teeny shuttle that would take you over, and it ran every five minutes, and it was no big deal. But nobody would tell us that. So finally, we got there, and we got there about 10 minutes before they closed the flight. Just barely made it. And I had lost it on the bus. Not, not bad, just, just lost it. I had no cussing, whatever. I don't do that kind of stuff. I just, I just was angry that this guy, there was nothing on the bus that we could tell that said this didn't go to both terminals. You would think it would definitely go to both terminals. Well, when we got in line, the gal said, by the way, uh, 
you're confirmed, but your wife is not. (laughs) Okay, Lord, here we go. I said, now, wait a minute. And I've done a lot of traveling. So I was getting my story ready. She said, the flight is overbooked because Comair has gone on strike back in the States. And you're flying back into Atlanta, and it's just a mess. And I said, you're overbooked? I said, would you like volunteers? And her eyes lit up. And so by all of that mess, we ended up getting bumped and getting $400 free tickets again. (laughs) And God was good. The key is the reason we gone over to France is we were on free tickets from getting bumped the last time. (laughs) Praise God. It's all God. So that, that almost paid for our tickets, and actually in dollars, with income tax, way more than paid for our tickets. And we flew on a better plane back, and it was wonderful. Now, I had to repent. <laughs> I didn't have to repent because we got the free tickets. I had to repent because I'd lost it. I was angry. Ever get that way? I thought I had a right to be angry. I did, but I, and I didn't handle myself really badly. I just... I could have handled it better. But God's still blessed. That's what grace is about. And see, this is what David's saying. In life, we blow it. Things happen. And you have to admit it. You have to be honest how you handled it. Now, often we say we did very well. When we don't, write it down. It's pretty ugly on paper. Isn't it? When you write it, it's uglier than it was when you did it. Because you're looking at it. So, in verse 16, David tells the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers. To sing slow, dead songs. So it says? Joyful songs. Worship is to be joyful. Not irreverent, but joyful. Who in the world ever designed some of these things that says music And worship to God can't be joyful. Now, again, it's not a circus, but worship is joyful. Much of our lives is motivated by music. And it's a shame that many people can't understand that you and I were created to worship. And worship is to be joyful. David and the people in their lives were finally doing right. And when you do right, there's joy in your life. And it's exhibited through worship. Now, verses 17 through 22 just give you some other uh, people that are going to be part of all that worship, the musicians and so forth. But there's a key down in verse 22. His responsibility, Kenaniah, the Levite, was in charge of the singing. He was the choir director. And it was his responsibility because he was what? Skillful at it. Worship is not only to be joyful, it's to be skillful. That means when you see the musicians up here and the sound people working with them in here, the children's ministry, all the different areas, when you see all these people, what's happened? They just didn't walk up out of the audience. They've been practicing. They've been practicing hours for the glory of God. I'm glad that we present music that's skillful. And when you pray, pray for the bands. When they practice, they're people just like you and I. I'm sure they're always perfect in their practices. At least when I'm here, they are. (laughs) Except for a few times. 
They need your prayers. Thank them for the time that they put in, the talent, the motives that they do, that we might have quality worship. That's what that was all about. Verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel commanded the units of a thousand, units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Remember, they had left the, the ark there and he was being blessed with it. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and as were the singers. And Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. And David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel, there's that unity again, brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Which, just picture it on the road. They were singing. There was a sound of ram's horns and trumpets and cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. Everybody had one purpose. There was joy. The ark was coming back. Verse 29. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Jerusalem, Michael, daughter of Saul, David's wife, watched from the window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating... She despised him in her heart. Keep your finger there. Turn back to 2 Samuel for a second. What you see happening here, and this is just a reemphasizing of it, 2 Samuel 6, 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched her new window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, what's it say? Same exact thing. What happened? What happened was this. As the ark was carried along, David was in his priestly attire, a linen ephod. He sacrificed. The people did. They danced. They shouted for joy. Spontaneously, while David was doing this, he actually uncovered himself. That doesn't mean he was naked. It means he took off his royal garments and As he worshipped, he was like the common person on the street. Michael hated it. The king was too priestly to be a common person. But my friends, where did David start? In the fields as a little shepherd boy. You see what had happened? Saul's daughter, Michael, all those years when Saul didn't worship God, her heart had gotten hard toward God. This was evidence of it. So what we have is David just worshiping. He he, he just distinguished himself. Look down in verse 20. You're in 2 Samuel 6. Look down in verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. What he was doing was mingling and mixing with the people as an average person. In this message from First Chronicles, David realized his error in neglecting to seek the Lord. Not only did he acknowledge his transgression to the Lord, but to the people as well. As Pastor Mark reminded us, sometimes you may not recognize how wrong your actions were until you go back and reflect on them. 
then you can acknowledge that sin, seek forgiveness, and move forward in obedience to the Lord. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, David will rejoice and celebrate before the Lord, and his wife will react badly to it. Pastor Mark will speak about worship and how we present ourselves to the Lord. David's wife may have been embarrassed by his behavior, but what ultimately matters is David's heart. We will ask the same questions of ourselves in order to determine our motives for worshiping the way we do. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the book of 1 Chronicles. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 